have you ever missed out on something that ended up being super valuable? Yeah, there's a story from many years ago about a college freshman that went off to Duke University. His parents gave him something valuable. And the valuable thing that they gave him was not just a pile of money. They gave him a Bible. And they told him, as you're beginning your new life away from home, it's, it's really good. You should take this book and spend time with this book. This book will help you in life. So he goes off to college. He's there for a few weeks, maybe a month or so. And, and he starts writing his parents some letters saying, hey, you know, I really, really need you to send me some more spending money. And his parents would respond, hey, look, just, just read your Bible. You know, just, just read your Bible. We, we've even going to give you, here's some verses for you to go read in your Bible. And so he wrote back, yeah, hey, I'm, riding, I'm reading my Bible, and, you know, thanks for the verses and everything, but I really, I still need some spending money. So, you know, that, that'd be great. And so they would write back some more verses. Hey, just read your Bible, and, and you know, read these verses. So break came around. He came home for the holidays. They're sitting there at the dinner table, and his parents said, look, we, we know you're not reading your Bible. What do you mean you know I'm not, how do you know I'm not reading my Bible? They said, because all those verses that we gave you to read on all of those pages, we put $10 bills and $20 bills. You know, we put money all in your Bible for you to find for spending money. See, that kid's off at college. No clue how valuable that Bible would have been to him the whole semester. Now look, don't go away from here thinking that you're going to find tooth fairy money in your Bible, okay? That's, that's not the moral of the story. But there is a, a picture here that reminds us that far beyond some money in between the pages, the Bible is a book of extreme and unimaginable value. Why? I love how one pastor put it. The Bible is what the creator and ruler of the universe wants us to know. It puts us in touch with God's thoughts about everything that the Bible addresses. That's astounding. The creator of the universe has given you a book so that you can exactly know his thoughts on everything in that book. It's what he wants you to know. It's what he wants you to know. That's why the Bible is so valuable. Prophet Habakkuk, he learned about those thoughts of God. He learned about that truth of God firsthand. Habakkuk lived in a time where his whole country was full of sin and violence and injustice. It was a time where you didn't know who to turn to, didn't know who you could trust, who you could depend on. You know, the kind of stuff that we don't know anything about, right? But he knew he could turn to God, and so he did. He turned to God, and he begged, and he pleaded. He prayed, God, would you please, please, please fix this injustice, this wickedness, this violence, this sin in my nation? And God answered and said, okay, I'll do it. And he said, the way I'm going to do is I'm going to send a wicked nation to come in and and conquer you. And that's how we're going to deal with injustice. And Habakkuk, just like we would, his first thought was, what? <laughs> Why, God? God, that seems like the opposite of how you would do anything. Why in the world 
Is that how you're going to solve this problem? I would imagine all of us have a time where we say, why, Lord? Why? So God heard Habakkuk's prayer and his plea. He heard his questions, and he answered Habakkuk. So what did he say? And maybe slightly more importantly for us today, what does what God answered to Habakkuk have to do with you? What does this Old Testament stuff have to do with you today? Let's see if we can find out. Habakkuk chapter 2, beginning with verse 2. Then the Lord answered me and said, Record the vision and inscribe it on tablets. Habakkuk was kind of having a question and answer session with God, and, and God wanted him to write it down because he knew it would be important for people to read it. He knew it would be important for people to hear it. God knew this was going to impact people's lives. And so he wanted him to to write it down. Listen, the same is still true today. The truth of the Bible is not just some old, ancient book. You may not find $20 bills in the pages. But the truth that is contained in the Bible are the very thoughts of God for you. The very words of life for you. You. This is his book. John Wesley is widely known as the founder of the Methodist Church. He once said this, I want to know one thing, the way to heaven. God himself has condescended to teach me the way. He has written it down in a book. Oh, give me that book at any price. Give me the book of God. Let me be a man of one May the Lord give us in these days a great love for his book. This one book that God has been so kind to give to us. Because in the pages of his book, you will find and I will find over and over again for our daily life and for our life in general, we will find freedom. Freedom. The more we look into the truth of God's word, we will find the freedom that can be found in Christ. We can be set free over and over and over again from anything and everything that begins to overwhelm and confuse us. It's just truth like that that Habakkuk needed to write down. But is it just for us to read? Is that all? Are we just just supposed to kind of read the Bible and and that'll be good enough? Or is there something else we're supposed to do? Listen to what Habakkuk writes next, or what the Lord tells Habakkuk to write next. Record the vision and inscribe it on tablets that the one who reads it may run. God says, look, Habakkuk, I need you to write down what I'm telling you. Write it down clearly so that people can read it, you know, Even a child, anybody can read this and and they can make a connection with this. And I want you to write it down because after they read it, I want them to run with it. Run, Forrest, run. I want them to run, run, run with this. What does that mean? It means when we hear the truth about God, we run to God. We run to trust God. We run to obey God. We run to let people know that we are trusting and obeying God. And if we were to fast forward that to our lives away from Habakkuk's life, the only thing that is different is maybe just just one word. 
And that is when we read the Bible, when we hear the Bible, when we read a devotion or we hear a sermon, we hear somebody pray God's word, when we interact with the truth of God, we should run with it. We should run to Christ. We should run to obey Christ. We should run to trust Christ. We should run to help our families trust Christ. We should run to help our neighbors trust Christ. Christ. We should run to help our friends trust Christ, the people that we work with, complete strangers that we bump into in the Midlands. We should take the truth of Christ and we should run with it to Guatemala or South Sudan or Cambodia and to the uttermost parts of the earth because as we saw earlier, if all the birds need is Jesus, then all the world ultimately needs is Jesus. So we send Operation Christmas Child boxes to the uttermost parts of the globe so that those children will have some presents, but they will discover the gift they need the most. And we send people on mission trips and we give money to missions because we want to be sure that Jesus doesn't show up and see us running a country club at 801 12th Street. See, we don't. We make sure that the gospel leaves this room because that's what we've been called to do because we've read God's truth, we've heard God's truth, and we're running. We're we're running. We're not just here to sing songs and listen to a sermon, to fellowship to one another, to kind of hang out at the church. We're here so that we will become better runners. Now, some Christians never start running. Maybe I should say some professing Christians never start running. Their, their interaction with Jesus is more social comfort than spiritual commitment. And then there's other people that, man, they run hard. But they're running with the Lord. And you know what happens when you run hard? I mean, I don't know because I don't run. But you people who run, you know, you know when you run hard, you, you get tired. You know, you get tired. That's why I don't run. I get tired, like, you know, in 10 yards. I'll walk, but I'm I'm not going to run a lot. You get tired. And and you know what happens when you get tired? You get confused. You get frustrated. You get angry. You get overwhelmed. Habakkuk's no different. He's experiencing the exact same thing. And and what happens in those times when we get tired and worn out, to, to borrow a line from an old hymn, we just really struggle to lean on the everlasting arms. We do. It's like, we we don't want to. You know, we would rather be mad and angry and frustrated. You know, we'd rather scream out and and, and post a million things on social media about our anger and how much we hate everything that's going on. But we are not quick to lean on the everlasting arms, sometimes because we're tired. Our anger makes us tired. Our fear makes us tired. Our apathy makes us tired. Maybe you feel that way today. Maybe you're worn out. You're, you're mentally worn out. Maybe you're physically worn out. And man, you're just thinking, gosh, I, I got nothing left. Habakkuk had some days like that. He, he seemed to be having a, a day like that now. So what does God do? Well, he encourages him. And how does he encourage him? Listen, verse 3. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It hastens toward the goal, and it will not fail. Though it tarries, wait for it. For it will certainly come. It will not delay. This is great encouragement. The appointed time had not arrived yet. 
Habakkuk was, was writing down this vision from God. And eventually, he let the people hear the vision. They were able to read the vision. In other words, they heard the sermon from Habakkuk on Sunday morning. They, they heard the, the Sunday school lesson. They, they heard the small group Bible study. They, they heard the, the January Bible study. They, they heard the message of God. But then a, a few weeks went by. And a few months went by. And those same people who, who had walked out that day and said, Man, Habakkuk, great sermon, man. That was fantastic. Or they tell their Sunday school teacher, you know, a week later they text, man, thanks so much for, for what you said. Boy, that, that really helped me this week. But then a few weeks goes by and a few months goes by. And, and the people started saying, Habakkuk, where are these wicked people? I mean, what's going on? I mean, why should we listen to you? Some of the people started thinking, man, Habakkuk, he, he must be some, some liberal crackpot. Others were thinking, gosh, he must be some fundamentalist nut job. Why should we listen to this guy? What he said, it's it's not coming true. Charles Feinberg says this, delay is only in the heart of man. If you chew on that, it's something. Delay is only in the heart of man. In other words, the concept of delay is something only I have. The concept of something being delayed is something only you have. God has no delay. He's not too slow. He's not too fast. He is always right on time. And that would be super encouraging to Habakkuk. He just heard this weird, confusing news that God's sending someone to take over the nation. So to hear that God does everything on time would be encouraging to him. The picture we have here is very similar to what we see in Psalm 73. In Psalm 73, the the psalmist is, is writing, and he says this, For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. He said this, They're not in trouble as others are. They're always at ease. They increase in riches. Been there, right? These rich, wicked people, they they get away with everything. They they don't seem to have any problems in life. And then he said this, Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure. Been there? God, these people don't honor you. God, these people do the wrong thing, and yet their companies still make lots of money. And they get elected. And they live in nice neighborhoods. God, God, what is going on? Why why do the wicked seem to prosper? And the psalmist says, I'm wasting my time. What am I doing at this stinking church listening to this stinking preacher? Why? I'm wasting my time. But they seem to have all the comfort, all the ease. I'm, I'm living over here in the middle of my stress and my anxiety and my anger and my frustration and my apathy. Why am I trying to honor the Lord? Ever been there? Ever had those thoughts sometime in the last few weeks? But then something happens. He's struggling. He's got some questions. Look, we're going to have questions. But then he gets an answer for his question. Listen to Psalm 73, 16 and 17. When I pondered to understand this, when I was like, I, I don't understand. 
it was troublesome in my sight until I came into the sanctuary of God. Then I perceived their end. Sometimes it feels like nothing is going right. Sometimes it feels like nothing's going to change. Sometimes it feels like the enemy is always going to win. And in those moments, step into the sanctuary. Not a building. Step in to this place where you are alone with God and you remember who God is. You remember that the birds don't work for anything and yet he meets their needs. He will meet our needs. Let me take it to the the strongest degree I possibly can and I'll just keep it personal. God will meet my need even if my need was death. He's that kind. He's that good. He'll meet my need, whatever it is, for me to gain Christ. He meets our needs. So when the psalmist stepped into the sanctuary, he went, oh, yeah, I forgot. God is everlasting, everlasting, everlasting. God is holy, holy, holy. God is other, other, other. And when he makes a schedule, it's always kept. God's appointed time is always met. God's never not on time. Habakkuk says that writes down for the people, man, God, he'll, he'll hasten toward the goal. But you know what we're thinking? Where are you at? If you're hastening, where are you at? But see, over and over and over again, we have this picture from God to his people. Hey, it's going to happen. You just, you just hang in there. You keep trusting. It may seem like it's delayed to you, but it's not. God's never tardy. He's always right on time. And so Habakkuk was watching for the Lord. He was watching for God's timing. He was waiting for God's timing. But he was trusting in God's timing because he knew he could trust God. God has more to say to Habakkuk. Listen, continuing in verse 4. Behold, as for the proud one, his soul is not right within him. The Chaldeans were the people that were coming to take over. They're also known as the, the Babylonians. They were coming to take over. They were going to rule the world. But not forever, because they were proud. In fact, history tells us within a 100 years of them taking over the world, they were completely wiped off of the earth. Why? Because they were self-worshipping, prideful people. Self-worshipping, prideful people. Let me just share something that's very humbling. Without a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, by default, a person can't help but be self-worshipping and prideful. Walter Chantry put it this way, There are only two kinds of men who have ever lived on the earth, men of pride and men of faith. Just two. And he says this. This contrast is the key to history, and it unlocks the meaning of every generation living on the earth. Every generation. 
Every generation from the first man and the first woman to us. Every generation. Every generation. Either a person of faith or a person of pride. Every generation. Ancient Egyptians, ancient Greeks, ancient Romans, the greatest generation, the boomer generation, the X and Ys and Zs, the millennials, everybody, every generation to come, every generation, there's only two kinds, a person of faith or a person of pride. So the question for our hearts is this, which one are we? Which one are you? What would the people who live in your house say? What would the people that you work with or go to church with or or hang out with on the weekends, what would they say? Would they say you're a person of faith or would they say you're a person of pride? Let's be honest. Most of us don't think we're proud people, okay? We don't. We just don't. We we think prideful people are, that's what other people do. So how is it that any of us could be prideful? Well, let's just think through some ways. You can be prideful if you're materialistic. You can't. You be prideful if you're materialistic. You can be super prideful also if you're frugal. Both and. Materialism can be pride. Frugality can be pride. You can be prideful about your hard work or your gifts or your talents or your education or your reputation around town. Those things can be sources of pride. But get this. A church person can be prideful about their religion and an atheist can be prideful about their rejection of religion. Charles Spurgeon said this, pride is a strange creature. It never objects to its lodgings. You can be a prince or you can be a pauper. You can be a Christian or you can be an atheist. You can live in a palace or you can live in a homeless shelter. Pride ain't picky. Pride will live anywhere with anybody. The Chaldeans, the very people that God was sending to take over the world, they were super, super prideful. About 70 years after Habakkuk wrote down this vision from God, there was a king over the Chaldeans named Belshazzar. And it's really interesting. He was having this huge party one night And in the middle of his party, all of a sudden on the other side of the room, there was this mysterious floating hand writing on the wall. And it completely freaked him out. And he got afraid really fast. He he couldn't understand what was going on, but, but this message was being written on the wall. Now, some people would say, well, he was three sheets to the wind. That's why he didn't know what was going on. Doesn't matter. He he could not read the message. He couldn't understand the message, and that made him afraid. So he got his best advisors. Hey, I need you guys. What is is this thing? His best advisors. No clue. That paralyzed him. The Bible literally says that that his knees gave way, that his limbs were, were knocking together. He was shaking. He was terrified. This is the king of the nation that ran the world. And he was terrified of this hand riding on. Then his wife remembered that there was this guy named Daniel who had helped the previous, one of the previous kings, Nebuchadnezzar. And so Belshazzar, he, he sent for Daniel, and Daniel came to him. Daniel came to him, and the first thing he said was, 
He said, look, do you remember the story about King Nebuchadnezzar? Do, do you remember how he was so prideful that he ended up living like an animal out in the wilderness, crazy out of his mind? Do you remember that? And then Daniel said this, And you, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew that story. But you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven, the God in whose hand is your breath. And then Daniel told him what the message was that nobody could read on the wall. God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. You have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Are you found wanting today? Maybe put another way, where are you with God? Where is your relationship with God? When you look at your life, are you following after God? Are you running after God? Are you reading and running after Jesus? Or are you knowingly or unknowingly full of self-worship and pride? Are you trusting first and most in yourself? Or are you trusting first and most in the blood of Jesus that has conquered sin, that has balanced the scales of your soul and brought salvation and peace and joy and contentment and happiness and satisfaction forever and ever and ever? Are you a person of faith or are you a person of pride? Listen to the rest of verse 4. God says, Behold, as for the proud one, his soul is not right within him, but the righteous will live by his faith. What's the opposite of pride? The opposite of pride is faith. What's faith? Very simply, the scripture says this in the letter to Hebrews, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction, the confidence of things not seen. Faith is not a 1969 Plymouth Roadrunner that you can just get in, crank up, and go somewhere. Faith is not a smartphone that you can just swipe and, and get what you need. When it comes to the truest sense of our physical senses, we can't see faith, we can't taste faith, we can't touch faith, we can't feel faith, but we believe in our faith. Our faith is real. It's not something made up, and it's not blind faith. We're not foolish people blindly running after a building or a sanctuary or a denomination or a religion. No, our faith has an object. And what is the object of our faith? Is the object of our faith the denomination or the religion or the pastor or the church? No. Faith for a Christian the object of our faith is the Lord Jesus Christ. There's nowhere else we set our faith. Jesus is the continual, ongoing object of our faith. There is no changing, no shifting from that. No one's going to come up with something better. No pastor, no preacher, no church, no religion will ever come up with something better than Jesus as the ultimate, only object of pure, undefiled faith. You know what happens when one of my cars start messing up? Something goes wrong with the car. I mean, before I go on YouTube and try to figure out how to fix it. You know, what, what do I do first? I call my dad. 
You know why I call my dad? Because after 32 years of driving, I have great faith and confidence in my dad's understanding of cars. He usually knows exactly what, what I need to be thinking about and what I might need to get fixed. How much more should we as Christians have confidence and faith in the one who has risen from the dead? How much more should we have confidence and faith in the person of Christ? The one who has satisfied the penalty of sin and rescued us. How much more should we have confidence in Jesus in 2020 and 2021 and any other moment in our existence because of what he has done? The Apostle Paul was writing to the church at Colossae and he said this, For by Jesus all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities or queens or kings or presidents or senators or representatives or pastors or deacons or anyone else. All things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. And then Paul writes this, And Jesus is before all things, and in him all things hold together. That's a lot more than car repair. Do you know this Jesus? Not do you know things about Jesus. Do you know this Jesus? This Jesus that holds the world together. And that nobody and no one can ever stop that. You know, whenever we go out of town, one thing I do is I, I take a, a little notepad and I write my name and my address and my phone number and my email on a little piece of paper. And then I get my house key and I put all that in an envelope. And on the front of the envelope, I, I just write, thanks for watching our house while we're gone. And then I, I drive up to Publix and go in the parking lot, and I just stick that envelope under the random windshield wiper of some car in the parking lot. That's, you know, that's what I do when we go out of town. No, I don't do that. <laughs> that's crazy. Our neighbor has a key. You know why? Because we know him. We trust him. This trust in Jesus, we're not asking you to be some crazy, super religious freak. This is unbelievably easy. God gave us his book. Read the book. Run with what you read. It's, it's not rocket science. It really isn't. Jeff Thomas said this, The more you know about Jesus, the more you learn to trust him. The less you know about Jesus, the weaker your faith will be. How's your faith today? How's your faith? With everything going on in the world right now, how's your faith? When you think about mask or no mask, when you think about social distancing or no social distancing, when you think about statistics and whether they're true or whether they're inflated, whatever you think, truthfully, I don't care because I don't care what I think either. What I know is what we need the most is a greater knowledge of Jesus. Because God meets the needs of all the birds through Jesus. And all we need is Jesus. All we need is Jesus. I pray that he will help us not see that as, as hokey. So let me ask you, are you strong or weak today? Where, where are you with your faith? Are you, are you strong or are you weak? See, true saving faith 
is when a person looks at the cross and they see Jesus accepting and absorbing the guilt-drenched penalty of their sin. And that person looks at that, believes in that, and says, yes, my confidence is in that. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to believe in that. I'm going to believe in the cross. I'm going to believe in the crucifixion. I'm going to believe in the resurrection. And I'm going to believe in the ascension because of the crucifixion and the resurrection. I'm going to believe in the Lord. So God, I've seen this truth. I've got this truth. Please save me. Please make me yours. God, you are the only investment that is perfectly safe. And when a person makes a commitment like that, I promise they don't forget it at the buffet after church on Sunday. To turn to Christ is to commit your entire life to Jesus. Saving faith is keeping faith. Saving faith is something that we depend on every day of the year. Saving faith is is something that we build our lives on before we get married or if we get saved after we get married or, or whenever we are in life. When we come to Christ, we begin to build our life on Christ. We don't just build our life on our experience. We don't build our life on what we already know. We build our life on Christ. I've always kind of jokingly said that I am undeniably uh, a passionate Clemson fan. But I'll tell you this, when I was growing up, my blood did run orange. And then I found Jesus, and I quit saying that. Because Jesus is first and most. Clemson's great, love it, thank God. God for it, but Jesus is the one who will say, welcome home, my good and faithful son. So we turn to Jesus because he is all we need. Now what does that faith look like? Think through the the whole of the Bible, okay? Here's a few examples. Noah built an ark by faith. By faith, he built an ark. Abraham moved his family by faith. Joseph endured lies and slavery and prison by faith. Moses wandered in the desert by faith. Ruth endured the death of her husband and a worldwide famine by faith. And on and on we could go for the last 4,000 years at least of men and women and boys and girls that lived their life by faith in the one one true creator God no matter what was happening on any given day of their life. And I love how the letter of Hebrews describes some of this. Hebrews chapter 11, it says this, these folks who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, how about this one, stop the mouths of lions. Have you done that this week? Anybody stop the mouth of a lion this week? This is amazing stuff. When we consider everything that's stressing us out right now, every, everything that we're frustrated with, anything that we might face in life, we are here worshiping the God that has helped people stop the mouth of a lion. This is our God. This is our God. By faith, they were able to quench the power of fire, escape the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. And how'd they do that stuff? They did it because they went to the right schools and they raised just enough money. 
No, they did it by faith. By faith. In the simplest way that we can think about this, again, there are two types of people in the world. Those who live by faith and those who live by pride. And simply put, pride looks to self and faith looks to God. So, where's your faith today? Are you looking by faith just to the fond memory of your profession of faith? Are you looking by faith just to the fond memory of your baptism? Are you looking by faith just to the money that you give to the church or that you give to local charities? Are you looking by faith just in your your church attendance in person or online? Are you looking by faith to your favorite political party or your favorite team or to your retirement plan? Is that where your faith, your primary faith is first and most? Or is your faith in the one that holds all things together? Paul was writing to the folks at Corinth, and he said this, so we are, this has to be a misprint. The Bible had to get this word wrong. So we are always of good courage. I I think it didn't miss that one. For we are always of good courage, for we walk by faith, not by sight. When it's dark and we can't see, we walk by faith. We walk by the exact same faith that Habakkuk walked by. It's not different. It's, it's the same faith. We keep believing in God's promise. We keep believing and have confidence in the fact that one day God will sort it out, and he'll sort it out once and for all. Listen, I, I want you to cut yourself some slack, okay? If you are if you're flipping out angry about everything happening in the world, look, just cut yourself some slack, okay? Because there's a lot of stuff to make us angry. If you're flipping out afraid about everything that's happening in the world, look, just cut yourself some slack. There's a lot to make us afraid, okay? It's, it's okay. We're, it's going to happen. But don't keep flipping out. Read and run. Walk by faith. Flip out for, I don't know, three minutes, not three hours. And then read and run. Read and run. Read and run. Listen, we're not going to understand everything that's going on. You're never going to understand everything that's going on. Goodness, I'm, you know, Lord willing, halfway through life, I've never understood everything that's going on, and I never will, and neither will you. Just cut yourself some slack on that. We're not going to know everything that's going on. God's made no obligation that he's going to explain everything to us. But we can still read and run and walk by faith. We can. It's, It's not impossible to do. So if we were to just kind of pull this into one little sentence, all that Habakkuk said, we could just say this. Don't be prideful. Just don't do it. Read and run. Walk by faith. Watch by faith. Wait by faith. Surrender by faith. Commit by faith. Why? Why should you do that? Why should you keep keeping the faith? One reason. I really hope this reason grabs your heart in the days ahead. Here's why you should keep your faith. Because Jesus loved you and gave himself up for you. And he holds all things together.